It's always a privilege to be here, and I just want to thank you for the privilege of being here. You live in a beautiful place. I was with people on Saturday, and I was telling them about how beautiful place you live in. You really do. And uh, it's always wonderful to be back in this church and to see what God is doing. It really is. It's wonderful to see what God is doing. My wife, Michelle, sends her greetings. That picture you put up there, I wish I was still as young as that, but anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> Time moves on, does it not? Okay, hey, wonderful. God is good, eh? You know, I'm just getting out of the light so I can see some of you, that's all. Okay, you can see me, I can't see you, but the Lord can see you, which is good. <laughs> yeah, God is good. I want to talk a little bit this morning about encounters. God encounters. I stand here because of the encounters that God has brought my way into my life. No other reason do I stand here other than those. And I've been privileged enough to have some of them, and I will share them a little bit later. But you become who God says you are in his word when he encounters you. I'll say that again. You become who God already says you are in his word, you become that when he encounters you. We desperately need God encounters. Because if we're going to change the area and the city that God has brought us into, we need God to impact us. We need God to come upon us. We need God to interact with us. The Bible says you can only receive what is given to you from above. John chapter 3. You can only receive what is given to you from above. And you can only give that which is given to you. That's what you pass on. And when God encounters, he sets something in motion in your life. He begins to set freedom in motion in your life. He begins to set an enabling in your life. He begins to set an identity in your life. And he begins to set a reverence and an awe and an honor for who he is in your life. Because you know without him, I'm nothing. I really am nothing. In Mark chapter 6, the Bible says Jesus had compassion and he healed them. In Matthew 14, the Bible says Jesus had compassion and he taught them. One is healed, one is taught. And so when we have encounters with the Lord, sometimes they truth encounters. The revelation of truth that gets inside of us and begins to change us fairly radically. And sometimes the power encounters. Both are needed. But I can't just sit and wait for something to happen. I need to get on with life. And I need to get on with God's called me too. But he puts a longing in your heart. He puts a desire in your heart to say, God, there has to be more. There has to be more that I'm walking in right now. There has to be. And once you've tasted of that, you can't go back to life as normal. You can't go back to life as normal once you've tasted on it. It's like very difficult to settle down. And when revelation of truth comes and enters your heart, it has a profound, it's like a truth explosion inside of you. If you've got a Bible, go with me to Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> 
This is the scripture as I was praying for you guys last night and this morning. That's why I decided to go down this road. I was going to talk on what a great salvation we have. There's a misunderstanding in the body of Christ what salvation actually means. And the Bible calls it a great, great salvation. It's not a ticket to go to heaven. That's just a very small part of it. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? How much more, having been reconciled, having come to know him, having become to declare a child of God, how much more, after having been reconciled, will we be saved? That's an ongoing present tense into something by his life, his resurrection life. In Deuteronomy, I don't have to turn there, verse 6, I think it's verse 23, the Bible says God brought them out to take them in. God brings us out to take us into something. He doesn't just bring us out so we can go to heaven. He brings us out to take us into something and be part of something to express who he is. That's what he does. Romans 5 verse 17, For if by the trespass of one man, death reigns through that one man, obviously being Adam, how much more, how much more, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life. means to have preeminence in life through one man, Jesus Christ. How much more? I love these scriptures because they talk about the more that God wants to take us into, but it comes through an encounter with him. Everything changes in your life when God encounters you. Your life changes, your thought life changes, your worldview changes, how you see him changes, how you feel for people changes. You begin to get something of his heart for other people when he encounters you. It brings an incredible change. Paul puts it in 2, two Corinthians, I think it's verse chapter 7. He talks about godly repentance. And when God encounters you, there's a deep ongoing repentance that comes into your life. And it's not so much about the forgiveness of sins, but it's an eagerness to put right. It's a longing, deep longing for more of Him. It's a deep concern that begins to well up inside you for the things of God. Because it's come through a godly repentance by the Spirit of God. And I find God encounters people that are not normally very gifted people. If you read the Bible, you can see they were just normal fishermen. Paul, Saul, who became Paul, he was a persecutor of the church, locking people up, getting letters of permission to go to churches and lock them away and persecute them. And he was an incredibly powerful man in word. He had studied he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the tribe of Benjamin, the Bible says. And when God got a hold of him, he changed. When Jesus revealed himself to him, that man who persecuted people, God's people, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That man. That's what God does, people. 
We become givers of the very thing that transforms us. I'll say that again. We become givers of the very thing when God encounters us that transforms us. We become givers of that. You just naturally begin to give it. That's what Acts 1.8 is about. Wait until you receive power from on high. Then you will be my witnesses. Not you will witness for me. It's not an event. It's a lifestyle. You will be my witnesses. Not you will witness for me. Just be you. And because I'm going to empower you and because I'm going to come upon your life, as you go about life, you will be my witnesses. Because you've been impounded, encountered by the Lord. Passion bored out of encounter with God cannot be put out. It will sustain you in the tough times, and there are tough times. It will sustain you in the valleys. It doesn't become dependent on outside people and outside influence. It's an explosion that happens inside of you, and you don't treat it lightly. Because when you've encountered by God, when you go through tough times, you go back and remember the encounter that you had and what happened inside you. And the desire wells up afresh and anew for God to bring you through. My son, who now leads the church that we planted, can I walk there? I don't know if, can I? Can I go up there? No, I'm teasing. Okay. <laughs> teasing. Thank you. <laughs> My son who now leads the church that we planted in Virginia when we came from South Africa. You can hear I have a South African accent. And, um, but there was a season in his life when my son and my daughter were not walking with the Lord. In their late teens, they got involved with the wrong crowd and unfortunately they backslid. And they got involved in the drug scene. And I remember going into a hall where we used to meet as a church and I remember cranking the music up and some certain songs that I put on repeat. It just meant a lot to me. And I'd go lay on the floor. And I'd just cry out to God and sing those songs and cry out to God and sing those songs and cry out to God and sing those songs. Probably four, five, six hours a day for a couple of months. And then God got hold of my kids. Because he had promised he would. But it's in tough times like that that you go back to the source of the life, Jesus Christ. Because he was faithful. And we moved to America, and we wanted our children to come with us, and they didn't, unfortunately. And they were not in a good place, but they started to turn. I could sense it. And we were in America for three months, and one day I got a phone call from my son. Instead of asking me just the other questions, he asked me, said, Dad, where's that scripture in the Bible? When I'd finished, I put the phone down, and I started to jump up and down because I knew God had got hold of me. When we got out of the way, like God got involved, if you understand what I'm saying. God has your children. Trust me. God has your children. I speak from experience. Don't stop praying for them, but God has them. I find that when you have an encounter with God, everything that you thought was important before no longer has the same importance in your life. 
because there's a death process that happens inside you. There's a huge death process that God brings about. And things that were very important in my life before, I still enjoyed them, but they didn't have the same importance any longer in my life. My priorities changed. And we can see this in Paul in Philippians. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. This is what Paul writes in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. If anybody thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But was ever what was ever to my profit, and I consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Some Bibles put dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Even then, he's saying, I still want to continue to know Christ because that's what happens when God encounters you. He puts the more inside of you. He puts the desire for more inside of you. I want to know Christ and the resurrection of his power and the fellowship of suffering, sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've obtained all this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. That's what a God encounter does. You cannot do that. That's what a God encounter does. And Paul says, pride goes out of your life because you see in your weakness, he displays his strength. See Corinthians 12. So Paul said he boasted about his weakness. God encounters are a gift that comes in his time and in his purpose. We don't negotiate the terms. We don't say, God, I want you to encounter me, but I don't want to fall down. I don't want to shake. Not that that needs to happen. I don't want to cry. And as for that tongue thing, mm -mm, mm -mm. we don't negotiate the terms. He comes and he powers us. And I find that even God sets up The environment around you, it's like he sets you up for encounters. And in hindsight, when you look back, you can see how God set up certain things. For Saul, who became Paul, Stephen, the martyr, the Stephen that died, that was a catalyst to what happened in Paul's life further down the road. Because he saw how man responded when he got stoned to death. When I was, I grew up in South Africa. Sorry, I just need a tissue. And uh, my biological father committed suicide when he was, when I was three or four years old. He was an alcoholic, and unfortunately, he gassed himself in a motor car. So I never knew him, and I need to say that I wanted to know him, and I'll tell that story a little later. 
So my mother remarried, and the man she remarried, he had two children from his previous marriage. It was me and my sister. And then they had one between them, so there were five of us in the family, and I was the oldest. But we were very poor. We had nothing. We lived in the south of Johannesburg. Those who are from South Africa will know the area down in Mondio area. Is very, we were very poor. We very had five kids, mouths to feed, struggling to put food on the table. And my father was, my stepfather was a very controlling, dictatorial type person. Not criticizing, just the reality of what it was. And I remember one night we had to go to bed very early, I think, so we could get out of my mom and dad's hair. <laughs> And I woke up and I heard my mom and my stepfather talking about going to second show driving theaters where you sit in a car and you go watch movies. I don't even have them in the town over here. And uh, they'd got somebody to babysit, but I woke up and I heard them discussing it. It was about quarter past nine. And understand, we never went to church. I put my foot in the church once before I got saved. That was to get married. The guy said, if you want me to marry, you've got to come to church. I went to church on Sunday, got married Saturday, never went back. Just, just tell you what happened. And uh, so we never spoke about religion or God or any of that stuff in the house where I grew up. But for some reason, at the age of five or six, I thought, you know how nice it would be to go to movies. It would be like snow in July. That's how impossible it is. And I said, God, please, please, I pretend I'm sleeping let my stepfather come in here, wake me up, and ask me to go to movies. That would have to be a miracle. And I said, God, and I meant it with all my heart as a five, six-year-old kid, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Don't pray that prayer unless you mean it. <laughs> I'll do whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to do, please. And lo and behold, you walk in my bedroom. I pretended I was asleep. He woke me up. I was so excited because this is like Christmas, because we were so poor. Go to movies, I jumped in the car, and I fell asleep. So I have no clue what happened. But anyway, <laughs> boy of five or six. Fast forward, I'm 33 years old. Actually, 30, 30, 31 years old. We moved from one city to the next. My wife decides to attend a little church down the road. She come back one day. I was playing soccer on a Sunday, so I wasn't interested. She said... The couple that are doing youth in the church can no longer do youth. Can we take the youth? I said, sure, I love young people. So we started to take the youth on a Friday night. And we just loved on these young people. I didn't know what to tell them. When they asked me something, I just said, I don't know. God loves you. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say to tell. I was very involved in business at that time, doing fairly well financially. And every Friday night, these young people would come into our house. And by the grace of God, this group grew from like 8 to 120, 150 young people. We used to have water fights in our house and action cricket and touch rugby. And I remember bringing the hose in one day and whatever. They loved it. But anyway. But because we were doing that, I decided to, I needed to attend this church. So occasionally I would go. But it meant absolutely nothing to me. I'm just being honest with me. And then she came home one day. I was a profuse gambler. I was addicted to gambling, horse racing. I used to eat, sleep, and dream horse racing. I was very into the social scene in terms of the cocktail parties because of my business. So a fairly um, heavy drinker at the time. We weren't unhappily married, but I lived like a bachelor. And uh, she came home from church one day and said, the church is going on a retreat. 
a family retreat, can we go? I said, are you crazy? The FA Cup finals that weekend, the Comrades Marathon that weekend, you must be crazy. But she convinced me, so I put the TD in the trunk of the car. <laughs> because I didn't know, but I couldn't get it to work where we went. But anyway, it was at that weekend that some guy was preaching, I don't know who, and then he said, if anybody wants prayer, come forward. And I just turned to Michelle and I said, these people are brainwashed. But lo and behold, I got up. And I said to Michelle, you better come with me because I'm out of my comfort zone. Put me in a pub, but don't put me down. This, this is foreign to me. So she held my hand and I went up and two young guys came to pray for me. And the one guy said, what do you want to pray for? I said, I don't know. So he started to pray. And as he prayed, I could feel the tears beginning to well up in the corner of my eye. And he turned to his friend and he said, why is he crying? And his friend said, I don't know. They said, well, you pray for him, because when I pray for him, he cries. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what happened. So the other guy prayed for me. But when I went to sit down, I knew for the first time in my life there was a God, and I didn't know this God. That's what happened. Yep. And I realized in hindsight now God was setting me up for what was coming. All of a sudden inside of me, there was a warfare that developed. Half of me wanted to get to know this God, whatever I thought he was like, and half of me didn't. Half of me wanted to really pursue God, the other half of me didn't. And there was a war that raged inside of me. And I remember I used to come home, particularly after the horse racing, having lost some money, I'd go into my room and close my door, and I'd kneel next to my bed. And the only reason why I did it is because I saw it on the movies. <laughs> Sunday morning in the movies. Anyway, <laughs> I saw it in the movies. And I just said, God, please change me because I cannot change. But I meant it. Please change me because I cannot change. And a whole year went by. And this war continued to rage. And she came back from the church. We were still taking the youth. And she said, listen, again on that family retreat. I said, let's go. I want you to go this time. And there's a man there. He came out of the vineyard movement. Uh, you won't know him, so it doesn't matter saying his name. And he started to preach. We were there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday. And I started to listen to what he had to say. And I remember him telling the story about Lazarus and how he died and how Christ raised him from the dead. He made it a little humorous in the sense of because when, when he died, he would have given away all his belongings. And then he rose and said, I want my stuff back. I want my <laughs> stuff back. But anyway. <laughs> and he was a Friday morning. About 10.30, and he was preaching, he stopped. He just said, God wants to deal with people. So I stood up because I wanted to see what was going to happen. And when I sat down, God got hold of me. It wasn't little tears, people. I broke. I absolutely broke inside. Because I saw in my mind's eye, I saw Christ die on the cross for me. And it broke me inside absolutely broke me. I saw parts of my life go before me. I just saw his love and grace come. I felt like somebody put detergent inside me and did this and poured it out. The weight came off me. I just, I wept so much. It wasn't little tears. My nose ran. There were long strands going down. Long strands in this pool. I said to Michelle when I gathered myself, I said, I looked at her, I said, you know, you look the same, but you look different. I looked outside, I said, everything looks the same, but it's clearer. 
It's different. God opened my eyes. That day I fell in love with Jesus Christ. That day he took hold of my life. He encountered me. Changed me. Completely changed me. Nine months later, we were in full-time youth ministry. That happened on a Friday morning. The Sunday, on the Saturday when we went back, Monday, when we went back to where we were living, I went to the CNA, which is the Central News Agency, the bookshop, and I went and bought a Bible. I'd never read the Bible in my life. And I still said, listen, I don't know what to buy as long as I've got a holy Bible on the side. And I started to read the Gospels, and I started to see what Jesus did, and I started to read about this man called Jesus, and it captivated me. My desire to gamble, gone. Never come back till this day. He took it. I didn't resist it. He took it because he's more powerful than that. My desire to go out with the boys, gone. All I wanted to do was read the word. I didn't put that there. He put it there. That's what an encounter does. A whole year went by, and as I started to read in the Bible what Jesus does, I started to have a longing. just want to see the time. All right. We started to have a longing to do what I saw Jesus doing. I still remember in a very, not a very pleasant way, going to the pastor of the church and saying, when are we going to do what Jesus did? And he said, relax, can relax. He was a good man. He really was, very wise man. But I started to have a longing. So we went back to the youth retreat. I mean, back to that retreat where it was the previous year. I thought God used to live up there at one stage. But anyway, <laughs> and halfway through that particular weekend, they said, all right, anybody who's gone into full-time ministry in any form, why don't you come forward? So I didn't know that meant me. So I went to the pastor of our church, and I said, is that Michelle and I? And he said, yes, that's the two of you. So we went forward. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no clue. We went. We standing there. I was holding a hand. And again, two young guys came towards me. They got from me to this whale away. I'm looking at them. They didn't say anything. They didn't do anything. Next thing I was on the floor. And when I hit the floor, it was like a fish. My head came up, then my feet came up, my head, and I started to shake. I kept saying, Michelle, I can't stop the shaking. I was shaking. My head was up in my face. I was like a fish coming out of water. And I felt inside of me, raise your hands. So I raised my hands up. And then these three fingers here and these three fingers there, it felt like somebody put me into the wall socket. And the electricity went through my body. And then I felt God say, stand. So I said to Michelle, I've got to stand, but I can't stand. I've been drunk before with alcohol, and it was like that. I couldn't stand. So I put my arm around her. I put my arm around somebody else, and my feet were dragging. And I felt God say, see that person there? Raise your hands. I raised my hands. By this time, a lot was happening. And as I looked at that person, they looked at me. They catapulted four rows back. I saw the raw power of God. And it put a hook in me. It was a God encounter. Fast forward six months, I always longed to know my father, my biological father. Now I'm saved. I'll be counseling a young girl, and I said to her, by the way, how's your relationship? We sit on the couch in my house with your dad. She told us, then she left. Michelle took her to the car. She came back, and she said, Kenny, how was your relationship with your dad? And they walked out. And that question facilitated an explosion inside me. 
I just broke. Because I felt the Father heart of God like I've never felt it before. I felt overwhelmed with the Father heart of God. And I started to sing that song, that old charismatic song. I wonder how I managed to exist without the knowledge of your love. The Father heart of God. The Bible says when you're born again, a spirit cries, Abba Father, Abba Father. Because you've come home. Abba Father. You become sons and daughters. And I've had the privilege of having one or two others. But I shared those because those changed me. I became what he already declared over my life. And I'm still becoming it. I haven't arrived. But that's what a power encounter does. Why am I telling you this? Because I feel like some of you in this church are going to go through a power encounter. And I want you to embrace it. I want you to embrace what God's going to do. Let me land with trying to just help practically. Spend time with the Lord and reflect on his faithfulness in your life. Make a note of the personal breakthroughs you've experienced over the years. Meditate on them. Give him thanks. Give him praise for these. Give him thanks. Give him praise for these. It's important to keep them. You're going to have some major revelations in your life, and you're going to have memorial stones in your life, memorials or power encounters. Remember those things because they're key for what God's doing in your life and where he's taking you. And it won't be like somebody else's because you're unique in the eyes of the Lord. So next time life comes at you, impossibilities your way, feast on what God has done. Feast on what God has said. Feast on what the experience you went through. This will help you launch you into more that he has for you. If you've lost your first love, go back to what you did when you first got saved. Go back to those things. So in my own life, when I felt like just the, the, the zeal or was waning in my life, I'd go back to certain books that helped me. And one of them was on Swiss, Smith Wigglesworth. I'd go back and feast myself on the Word and Smith Wigglesworth because it would stir me. You see how God can take an uneducated plumber that couldn't read or write and how he could use that man. An educated plumber. Pray for his goodness to overwhelm you. Pray for his goodness to overwhelm you. And this is a psalm. You don't have to pray this, but this is a psalm I prayed day after day after day. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. You are a compassionate God, a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see and be put to shame. Teach me your way, O Lord. Give me an undivided heart. You will change when God encounters you. You cannot be the same. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. 
And that's not a once-off. That's an ongoing walk. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Why don't you stand, please? If you could just close your eyes, not because that's more spiritual, it's just to focus. That's all it is. And if you feel like something that I said, not because I said it, but God took something, some of the words that came out of my mouth, and it had impact in you, or it stirred you, speak to him about it right now. And if your heart is saying, God, I need you to encounter me. I love you. It's not that your life's in a bad place, but I just desire more of you, Lord. Just desire more of you, Lord. Put a passion in me. Put a hunger in me. Initiate something in me that will prepare me for what's coming. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. That's just His presence, people. Thank you. Don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush. Speak to your Father in heaven. If you don't know him, ask. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. I feel like the Lord would say to you as a church, have I not called you to reveal my goodness? Have I not called you to display my splendor? Have I not called you to the supernatural? Have I not called you to signs, wonders, and miracles? Have I not called you to set the captive free? And people will see and hear what I'm doing. People will see and hear what I'm doing. And you will know that it is not of you, but it's of him. But he longs to reveal his heart to you. I feel like God is going to say he's going to show you his face. I don't know how that, what that even means. As you sought him, as you cried out to him, I feel like the Lord say, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your cry. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Captivate our hearts afresh. Thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for life.
going to end in a minute. But if you're aware of the presence of the Lord upon you right now, I want you to raise your hand because all you're doing is you're just acknowledging, God, I know you're near me. Just raise your hand. One hand, two hands. That's it. Because he wants to teach us how to foster his presence. In a sense, how to marinate in his presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We bless you, Heavenly Father, for what you're doing in your people. We bless you. And I thank you even now for those that have struggled with things. Freedom will come your way. Freedom will come your way. I feel the Lord say, I'm going to teach some of you to trust again because of what's come into your life and what you've experienced. It's not easy to trust. Thank you.